with virtually every major sports league halting play due to the COVID-19 outbreak, we find ourselves here. The Borisov Arena in Berisa, Belarus, home of Bate Borisov. The 15-time Belarusian Premier League champions are hosting Slavia. The 16-team league was the only professional soccer league to continue play during the global pandemic. The league began streaming matches online. Audience numbers grew, and so did the interest, not just from casual sports fans, but the sports betting community. Bate were the heavy favorite. They took the 2-0 victory. But let's switch gears for a second to something none of us expected. Hello, everybody. I'm Greg Woods, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the first ever installment of Marbula One here at the Savage Speedway. If you didn't hear the commentator, he said he's thrilled to welcome you to the first ever installment of Marbula One Marble Races. Start, lights are on, and we're rolling around the turn. The old Rangers lead coming off the grid. Ten laps in this race, and the old Rangers got a bad jump off the ramp. They fall back to third place. Ten laps around a carefully designed track, each marble equal in size and weight. Snowballs in fourth, hounding the top three. Snowballs is a long shot at plus 1,600. We're betting on marbles. Snowballs up into second now. Galactic have lost that giant lead that they had down the front stretch on lap number one. Sports is a $500 billion industry. Sports betting is a $100 billion industry. In March, Nevada saw 141.2 million wagered on sports, which was 76% lower than in March of last year. In April, New Jersey reported $2.6 million in betting revenue, an 87.6% decline year over year. The global crisis has impacted all of us in one way or another. But as we're seeing in the sports world, sports betting has been flipped upside down. And that's our focus on this edition of the Sports on Pause podcast. And Richard, this episode is probably well overdue because so many sports fans have been jonesing, not just for sports to come back, but for sports gambling to come back so that they can bet on their favorite teams and favorite sports. I have to be honest, I'm not a huge gambler myself, so... I'm not missing that side of sports, but I am acutely aware of many people who have a relationship with my content only do so because they care about the gambling aspect of it. That's well said, Donovan. I'm not the biggest gambler as well, but I I must admit I find odds making and odds makers and gambling lines fascinating. And I think it's one of the more interesting parts of sports and a significant growth industry. And joining us on this episode is David Purdom who is very well known in the sports gambling community, a longtime writer for ESPN. You can find his work on ESPN Chalk. And Jay Cornegie, the executive vice president of race and sportsbook operations at the Superbook. And both of these men are really insightful and positioned well to explain the massive impact that this global pandemic has had on online sports betting, and as we sort of get through this and ultimately return to play, what it means for the sports gambling 
industry. So if you're a sports gambler, or even if you're not, I think you're going to find David Purdom and Jay Cornegie fascinating in what they have to say. Actually, you know what? Correction. I lied. I do care about sports betting, and I do gamble a bit on March Madness. And that's why I was really sad to see it go. And that's why we should probably talk to David Purdom, who can put in perspective what the loss of March Madness means from a betting perspective, but also put in context what Belarusian soccer is from a betting perspective as well. All right, as we said at the top, David Purdom is ESPN's lead writer when it comes to sports gaming. And he has covered this industry since 2008. In my opinion, one of the uh, one of the best people in the business when it comes to this kind of content. And let's start here, David. What impact has the coronavirus pandemic had on sports wagering? It's been massive. Um, if we really want to take a snapshot of it. The NCAA tournament, those first four days of the NCAA tournament, those are the pinnacle for Las Vegas sports betting. And I center on Las Vegas because it is still the biggest market. But don't forget, we have legal sports books operating in 17 states before uh, the pandemic shut down. But in Las Vegas, that NCAA tournament, you know, hotel occupancy, it peaks. Uh, people line up early in the morning just to get a, a seat at one of the sports books. We're talking four or five in the morning in Vegas to get a spot on that Thursday. And for that to be a race like it was, it's just a massive, massive hit that the bookmakers don't think they'll be able to catch up. You know, authorities, gaming authorities, they estimate $400 million was bet on March Madness last year. Now, the books only won $30 million of that, so it's not a huge, huge number that way. But just all the little things that go along with it, the hotel occupancy, the tourism that comes in and out of Las Vegas, just a massive hit. We're now less than two years removed from the Supreme Court decision that cleared the path for sports wagers across the country to become much more commonplace how, if at all, will this pause in sports gambling impact the momentum that we were seeing across North America? That's an excellent question. We saw Washington State, the governor signed a sports betting bill that had passed and reached his desk uh, in January, and he signed it during. They were one of the first states to, to really start getting into the pandemic. Uh, but he went ahead and signed it. Virginia has passed a law as well that's made it to the governor's desk, and we have not seen him sign it. So there has been some attention to it. I think anybody that comes out and definitively says one way or another in this post-pandemic world, uh, I'm kind of agnostic. I, I don't think we can be definitively uh, know the right answer at this point. Will it slow down? Will it pick up? The one thing I can say is the established popularity and acceptance of sports betting online. Uh, you know, all fantasy sports has done this. Uh, so many uh, states are offering online sports betting now. It is in a better position than something like slots or blackjack or those types of table games uh, that have not been as accepted widespread uh, online. So there's some advantage that I think sports betting can really kind of uh, take off in the post-pandemic world. David, what is your reporting or what does the data tell you about some things that normally would never get traction in the United States, say betting on uh, Russian soccer mm -hmm. or, you know, table tennis somewhere in Asia? Does the data suggest that are gamblers trying to find any place in the world globally now to get their fix? 
Well, the bookmakers certainly are. They're, they're scouring just to get anything up, and people are betting on it. The most popular thing right now, and you kind of touched it, is Russian table tennis. William Hill Sportsbooks in Nevada, they said they were taking about six figures worth of handle a day on Russian table tennis. People are finding soccer. I believe Belarus and Nicaragua have soccer leagues going. And then there's also the esports things like the e-NASCAR, the iRacing events that's been on Fox and Fox Sports lately. Um, three states have allowed betting on that, Nevada, New Jersey, and West Virginia. Now, we need to put that all in perspective because while those are the most popular events, it is still a minuscule amount of money that's being going through these sports books. The revenue is practically all gone. I talked to one major operator last week in Las Vegas. He said he sits there and be like four or five hours and he won't take a single bet on anything. So this is March. This is April. This is supposed to be one of the busiest times. And they're sitting there with nothing. I want to actually drill down on that even further if we can, mm -hmm. because everyone who has been proponent that esports is the next big thing. One of the reasons they said it was, was because when the betting on it started to scale, it could be really big. And I'm not sure if we've seen that yet, but what have you seen in terms of the difference between bets on an e-NASCAR event and a regular NASCAR event or a iRacing event and an IndyCar event? What's the disparity between the two? 20%. So 20% handle on an e-NASCAR race compared to what's bet on a regular NASCAR. That's kind of been the, the consensus among some of the operators. So, you know, one-fifth, it's something to get Keep you engaged with your customers, uh, keeping connection with them, but it's not going to be a long time fix for sure. Now, uh, esports is another thing that has been accepted online and is supposed to grow. Like you said, it's kind of been that next big thing for a while, right? Like four or five years, and it maybe hasn't reached that yet, hasn't taken off yet. Certainly not in the betting market in the US. International is a different story, but it's definitely in a position if it can find some ways to grow. And I don't know about you guys, I, I guess I'm kind of old, but when I watch a League of Legends or one of those uh, fantasy games, it's hard for me to figure out what's going on, who's doing what and so forth. Compared to when I watch that Ian Ascar race, I can see what's going on. David, this is one of the most interesting questions to me as we head forward. When we finally, um, knock on wood, when we finally sort of get back to at least some semblance of normalcy, and I, I underline the word some there, because I think it's going to be a while, mm -hmm. some semblance of normalcy when it comes to sports. There is the prospect of leagues playing neutral site games somewhere. Certainly the prospect of leagues playing without crowds. How do you think odds makers will approach the prospect, let's say, of a NBA or an NHL playing a neutral site tournament somewhere in the United States or Canada? How do you go about sort of setting odds for something like that when all these variables come in? Oh, it, it'll be fascinating to watch how they do that. I will say that home field, home ice, home court advantage is often overvalued in the betting, in the mainstream public compared to the odds makers. They don't factor it in too much. I'll have odds makers say, you know, the really only true home field advantage is Wyoming or Denver and the altitude. Uh, and other than that, it just doesn't seem to be a factor. And in fact, this year in the NFL, more road teams covered the spread than had it done so in any other season. Uh, so there was a high percentage of road teams. Home field advantage just doesn't seem to be as big anymore. Now, there's all be all kinds of different little factors that you'll have to consider in these you know, neutral sites or however it'll work. It'll, it'll be interesting to watch. 
you know, we're starting to hear league commissioners and officials talk about the fact that they're going to have to be very creative when sports comes back to make sure that their product is still entertaining and consumable. And so there are really no sacred cows. And whenever fans get to go back into games, there will be a new normal. I'm not sure how readily willing people will be to gather in large crowds right away. Agreed. NBA has been maybe the the loudest about talking about the fact that they want in arena betting and maybe you can bet from your smartphone in your seat. How aggressive do you think sports leagues are going to be with measures like that so that there's a reason to go back to arenas and stadiums? Well, even before the pandemic, they were starting to be aggressive. You know, there's a, a sports book being built at Capital One Arena uh, where the, in Washington, D.C. William Hill has partnered with Ted Leonsis there, and they're putting a physical brick-and-mortar sports book, betting over the counter and so forth, in, in their arena. So they were already starting to do that. And I don't know if you guys saw much of the uh, NFL-CBA, but it – Includes language that the NFL is definitely looking at having sports books uh, inside stadiums. So they were already aggressive with that. Uh, I expect it will continue. David, uh, what have you seen in terms of futures betting? Have people been putting a lot of money on uh, 2020 MLB baseball odds, 2020 Masters tournament odds, you know, 2021 NCAA tournament odds? What's sure. what do we know about futures betting at this point? It's down. It's down considerably. Uh, you know, the handle on what the odds to win the Super Bowl um, usually at this point uh, is starting to grow, especially after we get free agency and we get the draft. We had all the betting around Tom Brady going to the Bucks, But when you talk to the bookmakers overall, they're like, shoot, it's not even 20% what it should be. Everything has been severely, severely reduced. So uh, I, that's why I, I caution when I hear these stories and, and see what people talk about, oh, they're getting all this money on, on Russian table tennis. It's still very minuscule what they had. Their revenue is, is gone. You mentioned, you know, the menu options at sport books being uh, very creative in, in these times. <laughs> you know, I have a couple buddies who, you know, are texting me that there's certain sites where you can bet on the weather. That's how desperate people are to bet. The election in the United States is something that there is an appetite uh, by some to bet on. What have you heard on that being legal and available? Well, West Virginia tried to have it. In fact, just the other night, FanDuel, the big sportsbook operator there, uh, sent out a press release to everybody and got called us all, all the, all the reporters. Hey, we're going to offer presidential election betting in West Virginia. And we were all like, what? You're going to do what? How are you going to do that? Isn't that illegal? And there's always been a gray area and interest in it. But for the most part, people view it as illegal. So sure enough, they put up these odds on the presidential candidates and Within two hours, the odds are down, and we're getting calls from the PR people again saying uh, the Lottery Association has asked us to take these down for future reference. People have tried it. It's a huge appetite. People in Las Vegas, longtime bookmakers, say that if they were allowed to take uh, action on the presidential election, they think it would dwarf the amount that's wagered on the Super Bowl. And in the UK, the betting on the presidential election is very, very popular. So uh, there's interest in it. I don't know how far away we are from getting that uh, through here in the U.S., though. One of the fascinating unintended consequences of this for me has been a lot of avid gamblers have been forced to almost quit cold turkey on betting on their traditional sports. We'll see how many of them come back in the same way. But if we have an economic recession likes 
of which we haven't seen maybe since the Great Depression. What will that lack of disposable income and the economic pressures we all might be feeling do to the gambling industry? Well, it's one of those things that I think we don't know at this point. I will say I did look back at the 2007-2008 recession there and the economic crisis and what it did to sports betting handle in Nevada, which at the time was the only state that was allowed to take sports. And it really had minimal impact. They had, I think it was $2.5 billion in 2006 was wagered at Nevada Sportsbooks. At 2007, it was like $2.8 billion. So it probably slowed the growth a little bit, uh, but it certainly didn't increase, decrease. Now, this is different, though. We don't have the sports to bet on. So there is going to be a significant impact. And oh, gosh, I, I just don't know what's going to happen next. Nor do we, but thank you for giving us some perspective on what is happening now. He's a great follow on Twitter, at David Purdom, and his bio says, I'm not good at gambling. That may or may not be true, but you're certainly good at talking about it. Keep up the good work with ESPN Chalk as their reporter on all things betting and gambling. Thanks so much, David. Thank you, guys. Everybody be safe. Well, our thanks to David Purdom for his insight. And Donovan, I must say, I have been in Las Vegas for March Madness for that first uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it was incredible. And I distinctly remember sitting in a casino with 500, 1,000 people and watching a UCLA game. And the game was over. It One of the teams, I think UCLA was up by 25 or so. But the intent of the people watching that game was so robust because it came down to the wire when it came to the spread. And it was a reminder to me as we are now in this pandemic of just how much money is placed on sports in March and April and how we have seen that absence in 2020. You know, springtime really is the sweet spot in the sports calendar. And even if you moved a lot of the sports that we loved down on the sports calendar, things like the Masters and opening day in baseball, the stretch drive in the NBA. If we move those things down the calendar, we still have to reconcile with what will they look like when they happen and how will the lines move because when sports comes back, it might be an entirely new reality. How do you set those lines? That's why we should bring in right now into the conversation, Jay Cornegy, to break all of that down. Our next guest, um, I find really interesting because I'm always interested in the nexus of sports gambling and where we're heading in sports in 2020 and beyond. And there's also an interesting COVID-19 story in relation to sports gambling. Jay Cornegie is the executive vice president of the race and sports operations of the Superbook. They are based in Las Vegas and beyond. And he's one of the foremost experts when it comes to the world of sports gambling and how it affects us. And he joins us on the Sports on Pause podcast. Jay, I wanted to ask you a very macro question to start, if I could. And that is, how has the pandemic impacted your world? Well, it's changed dramatically. Uh, and most of us have been working from home. It's made us a little bit more tech smart, as we've been forced to do a lot of things from home, whether it's conference calls or or operating risk management, et cetera. It's really made us, you know, uh, a little smarter in, in that corner of the world. 
but um, you know, at times uh, we, we do have to look around and, and uh, realize what's going on. But uh, it's a little disappointing at times, but uh, not me, but some of our, our team members have, have been a little uh, depressed over, over this time. But uh, hopefully uh, we can see some light here soon and, you know, we can reopen up. Can you break down the difference, if there is one, in impact inside the books in Nevada in comparison to the ones outside of Nevada? I've only talked to some of our colleagues outside of Nevada. Uh, you know, obviously haven't seen any operations and uh, we've shared our misery and uh, thoughts uh, moving forward, but uh, we haven't been open on our retail end since uh, the 17th of March due to the Nevada governor's mandate of ceasing uh, gaming activity. We ran our mobile app in Nevada, which was still authorized for about uh, almost a week and we were scouring the planet to uh, find events that were still being played out. But every time we found a league or an event, it felt like we would lose to as other leagues would suspend play. After uh, about six, seven days, we decided to pull the plug on that. However, we just recently reopened our mobile sports betting app here in Nevada on May 7th just in time for the NFL schedule release and these UFC cards. And the response has been, I'm not going to say it's outstanding or, or overwhelming or anything like that, but it's certainly above your average uh, handle or your average activity that you would normally see for these events. The card that we had this past Saturday was certainly probably about 30 or 40% increase that we would normally see on a UFC card outside of McGregor event, it uh, seems like people are willing to wager and, and they're ready to wager. Uh, we just don't have that much on the menu right now. Jay, I have two questions here. One, how will you expect NASCAR to do in terms of uh, betting interest? They are returning with two races. And can you give us a sense of whether people have been interested in betting on the Korean Baseball League, if people will be interested in betting on the Bundesliga which starts up in a couple of days from when we are taping this. I, I'd be curious as if some of these sports that maybe don't get a ton of money on them, how would they be doing now? You're right about NASCAR. NASCAR was a lot more popular years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And, and going backwards, it lost a little steam in recent years. But um, you know, we're looking at seven races in 10 days, whether it's uh, Xfinity or the Truck Series or the Cup Series. So we're excited about that, that we are going to have some live events. Now, it certainly dropped down to almost like a third tier sport for us, but uh, we expect uh, pretty decent attention to it. Now, is it going to compare to a football game? Probably not, but it would probably compare to, let's say, a college football game of mid-majors that we're playing on a Thursday night. I mean, that's my expectations. Now, I'm hoping to uh, be surprised uh, this Sunday, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. However, I know we're going to see a spike in NASCAR action during this time as there's not much others to, to wager on. As far as Korean baseball, Korean baseball is a sore subject with me right now. It seems like we lose every day on Korean baseball. We've only been open for a week, and uh, I think there was one day that we didn't have any game scheduled, and that was our best day. But uh, the others, it seems like they're, they're picking us off left and right uh, as 
yes, there are some sharps that uh, really do their homework for Korean baseball. You know, it's all revolving around these pitchers. So we're, we're digging into that a little bit more as we're trying to find out more of a schedule and get more stats from, from that league to strengthen our lines. That's a really interesting point because people just look at your situation and think, well, you just want to be able to offer as many things as you can on the menu, but you also want to be able to offer things and make a profit and be right more than you are wrong. When you talk about leagues potentially coming back and players, you know, being not in the same shape as you're used to and maybe games not being home and away, which is something you'd factor in, but being in these pod cities, if you will, how do you plan on adjusting how you set your lines for this new reality? Well, the good thing is that the, the betters out there and the uh, book operators are pretty much in the same boat. You know, we're going to be learning as we go, adjusting as we move forward. We haven't set our limits at this point. They could be lowered just a bit just to uh, in the early going to get our feet underneath us. But uh, it's a learning experience. Uh, we just haven't gone through this before. So it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, we want to be accommodating. We want to you know, uh, make sure that our account holders are able to wager on, on these different events. But you also want to be profitable and uh, hold your own. It's not that we have to win every day, but uh, like I said, I don't think we've won in one day in Korean baseball yet, and it's been a week. So it's not something that we just took off the board. We're still booking it. It's just that we're, we're forced to do even more homework than we anticipated, and that's fine. And that could be the case with some other sports, even if it's uh, our normal schedule of major events. We might have to dig a little deeper to try to find out or look into any type of trends or, or information that could help us make stronger lines. Jay, um, the opening up of states to sports gambling, sort of the federal government's uh, you know, we're sort of going back now a year or so, but basically the law being changed where states can make the decision if they want to um, have legalized state gambling, obviously have massive implications for your profession. And I know that your place, the Superbook, is opening up, you know, I'll call it satellite, I guess, places around the country. Can you give me a sense of how like handles are doing in different states and are certain states more known for gambling versus others? And you know, do you think we'll be at a certain point one day when, you know, close to 50 states, you can walk into a betting parlor or a casino or someplace somewhere and be able to place a wager on a sporting event? Yeah, it's been an, an interesting time period for us. Uh, I mean, prior to this COVID, as uh, sports betting was legalized throughout, uh, it, it happened very quickly. And to look at, uh, you know, the states and look at the demographics of, of their you know, citizens, obviously, we knew that New Jersey uh, was going to be more of an educated market than, say, you know, Iowa or even Colorado. You know, they have a history of, of being uh, sports bettors in New Jersey. And uh, so you do see uh, different results. Um, and, and I think that uh, those that are categorized as uh, immature market will educate themselves fairly quickly maybe not as fast as New Jersey or, you know, even Mississippi, or you look at Indiana, big sports fans, you get up there in Michigan, you know, those type of states, really big sports fans, probably 
very familiar with uh, betting lines a lot more than some of these other uh, jurisdictions. Uh, and I see them educating themselves very quickly on maybe some of the betting options that they've never seen before. But then you go into the Midwest and, and, and it's not a knock on these states by any means, but it's, uh, you know, you look at studies and you read a lot and you look at the, the demographics of, of a sports fan in, in states and they do differ. And uh, that at times will change your strategy on your offerings, your splits, your overall strategy. So it's going to be small variations, but uh, you can definitely learn a lot by reading some of the material that's out there. There's a lot of information out there that certainly can help uh, bookmakers, but it can also help these uh, newly sports gamblers that we're opening up for. One of the commonalities across the board in North America among gamblers, among people, is that they've been hit hard economically by this crisis as we spiral into recession. Do you take that into consideration in terms of the fact that many people who often gamble will have less disposable income and thus your offerings may have to change to reflect that? That's definitely been discussed. You know, people have been talking about how many are just clamoring to, to wager on something. And, and you do see some of that right out of the gate as we reopened our sports app, but there's also a lot of people that are hurting out there. And uh, we understand that. So there's going to be certain promotions and offerings that you might not have seen before to accommodate that. I think that's something that you're just going to play by ear. We look to be very aggressive in that area. And whether it's in Nevada or other states, we want to you know, entice them to sign up for the Superbook app, wherever they may be. And uh, if there's certain promotions or, or loyalty programs or uh, certain bonuses is needed, I'm sure that uh, we are going to be there. We've already seen that with some of our competition, and we expect that to continue uh, for the near future. We haven't talked to a lot of people who are based in Las Vegas, and so I want to take advantage of you being on the podcast. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, Las Vegas was just an absolutely incredible place for throngs of Americans, throngs of foreign tourists to walk around and go through the casinos and sports books and see shows. I'm not telling you anything you don't know about your town. I've been there many times, probably even lost some money at your place. So you're welcome for that. But I do want to get a sense because it's one of those American cities that really potentially could change dramatically given how the public will respond to being in close quarters inside Vegas's places, which generally speaking, Jay, as you know, are close quarters. You live there, your livelihood is there. And I wonder if you could just give us a local perspective on how you think Vegas can make itself, um, how do I phrase this, sort of appetizing a place when people, I think, even when they start coming back to society, are going to be a little bit reticent about being that close to people. Yeah, that's been the topic for the last couple of months. You know, how are we going to reinvent ourselves this time? Vegas has gone through this uh, uh, multiple times and they have reinvented themselves. Whether, you know, you look at the the fires of, you know, the MGM and I think that was like 1980 or something like that. I think they even had a fire here before I started working here, long before I started working here at when it was the Las Vegas Hilton 1981. And then Vegas became the gold standard for 
fire protection and safety. I mean, for the whole world as everything changed here and we took the lead and in, in others in the hospitality business and, and, and some others as well, you know, looked to Las Vegas for those safety measures. I wouldn't be surprised, maybe not to that scale, but with the resources that we have and the, the people that have the experience in this business that have been here for many, many years and been part of that reinventing itself, going through really some hardships, whether it was the 80s or the fires or the recession in 2007 and, and that era. You know, this is a bigger challenge. We all understand that. But uh, every single day we have a two o'clock call and we go over our reopening protocols, whether, you know, safety, you know, procedures. And it's not just about our guests. It's, it's about our team members as well. And we talk to other operators as well as we have shared you know, certain information with our competitors. And that's how it's always been. You know, it's you know, we're competitors, yet we, you know, we band together for the best of the industry here. And that's how it's always worked. And that's what I'm seeing today. So I wouldn't be surprised at some of the things that we have come through with. And then, you know, next uh, few months could be replicated around the world. This is uh, something that uh, they take seriously and they have the resources to do it. We're not going to say it's easy because it, there's a, a huge impact here that could cause some of these uh, properties not to reopen in the near future or maybe not at all. Uh, certainly the biggest challenge that we we've seen. I've been here for 32 years, so I've seen some of these rebounds, but obviously this is going to be our biggest challenge. Um, you know, you look at the restaurants and, and, and you look at our customers, you look at our amenities, you look at our shows, you look at our, there's things being discussed right now that, you know, you probably won't see any self-serving, you know, food outlets, buffets, and those that are similar to that, you know, being offered at any time in the near future. Maybe We've seen the last of those, but uh, from the time that the customer walks on the property to the time he leaves, we're dissecting every single step that they could possibly take and prepare for every different scenario. So again, we don't expect it to be a light switch. We're hoping for a gradual incline. We obviously, if they do come up with a, a certain treatment or a vaccine, that's going to give everybody you know, more confidence. We're just uh, looking to uh, survive until then. You've done a great job of giving us insight on some of the short-term challenges, but I wonder if there are some long-term opportunities as you start to pivot your business. We know when it comes to legalized sports betting, leagues are always looking for unique and additional revenue streams. Well, now actually governments at the local and state level are probably in the same boat given the amount of subsidy money they're giving out. Do you think this will be able to open up maybe a broader conversation and having legalized betting even more so in, in states that we don't have it right now? Well, I, I think so, but I, I think the it's not the obvious choice, but it makes sense that the mobile aspect is, is going to be more popular than ever. I think those states that have opened and, and haven't had the full mobile experience, I'm sure that they're looking into changing that with their you know, restrictions of no mobile all or, or just mobile on premise. That certainly uh, would most likely change in the future. Uh, but not 
not just the sports betting, but for, you know, casino gaming as well, as we've seen spikes in that in jurisdictions that already offer that. So I could see the mobile side of things, even if it's just meetings. I think a lot of technology, I think a lot of more uh, social distancing, but in our specific corner of the world in sports betting, you have to think that the mobile is going to be focused on to be the best that it can be. I mean, there's there's a lot of room for improvement in these uh, uh, devices, and as we progress, but I think that you're gonna you're gonna see it escalate in the next couple of years as it's going to be more popular than than ever. Well, Jay, as Richard and I both know and hate to attest, uh, the house always wins, but right now it doesn't feel like anyone is winning in this situation. So we really hope that you get through it, you know, continued health both to yourself, but also long-term health to your business. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, ditto, that goes back to you guys as well. Be safe. Hope uh, you you and your families are well and uh, hope to see you guys soon. Donovan, as we wrap up this episode, and we certainly thank David and Jay for their insights into sports gambling and how that has uh, been impacted by COVID-19. I want to leave, uh, in terms of my last word, one of the things that has really helped sports fans, I think, during the coronavirus has been watching The Last Dance, the 10-part documentary series on the 1997-98 Bulls, as well as sort of a documentary on Michael Jordan himself. The viewership numbers in the United States came in, and it was a massive success for ESPN. The original airings of all 10 episodes averaged 5.6 million viewers. That's far and away the most watched sports documentary that is uh, aired on television in the United States. And that doesn't include repeat airings or those who watched it globally on Netflix, as we have had to do in Canada. So again, if you're a sports fan and you haven't checked it out and you want to do a little bit of binge watching... I cannot highly recommend enough The Last Dance, 10 parts on one of the great basketball teams of all time, the 1997-1998 Bulls, and it gives you some remarkable insight into the absolute pathological competitiveness of Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's a great one. It's something I'm looking forward to rewatching and not having to take notes while I do it because I was providing content for our website from The Last Dance. I watched with my wife and she is the type of person who while she watches something she's taking notes on what she wants to google to learn more about the subject afterwards and for people who are so inclined uh, there's a new media column on the athletic that breaks down how this film came to fruition a little bit earlier than it was supposed to because of COVID-19 and how you have all of those big stakeholders Netflix, ESPN, the NBA and NBA Entertainment the Jordan brand and Jordan himself all together while social distancing to get this film made. It's a great read, the new media column. So for all the last dance fans, be sure to check that out. Now for a last word option, that's not a shameless plug for my co-host. I was actually reading something on Bloomberg quick take. It's the new normal for gyms post coronavirus. We know that gyms have been hit hard because so many have not been able to make rent on big spaces that clearly haven't been open to the public well now they're starting to reopen 
gyms around the world are really looking different after the coronavirus lockdowns. So for all those who want to get a sweat on in a clean environment, give that a read. For those of you who have continued to give this a listen, thank you so much. Continue to like, share, favorite, subscribe, but more importantly, stay safe, take care of yourself and others.